0: Well, there's a document called The State of Church Giving Through 2017. Isn't that an interesting title? And what this document does is it tracks giving trends uh, to the church. And I want to give you a few stats, not to spin numbers, but just for you to think about the desperate situation that the American church is in, I believe, when it comes to the area of generosity. In 1968, Americans gave 3.02% of their income to the church. Did you catch that? Someone went, oh, oh, it gets better. Uh, By 2017, according to this document, the percentage was down to 2.13%. And it is estimated by the year 2050, if Jesus doesn't come back before then, that Americans will only give 1.66% to the church. So we've been duped or we have fallen asleep by certain numbers. Let me just tell you, think of giving generosity as two sides of a coin. The one side that I just talked about is that percentage side. The other side is the exact dollar amounts. And if you only look at that side of the coin that has dollar amounts, you might think it's not so bad as it really is. It, it presents a false sense of security because we are making more than we did 20 years ago, 40 years ago. Isn't that right? Some of you who are retired, you're amazed at what your children are making. Well, you gotta add in, you know, how everything gets more expensive and everything. But so that, that amount doesn't look quite as bad, but when we look at the percentage, it's very difficult. The percentage decline is so slow that we can't recognize, I think, what is right in front of us. And the big questions today are this. Number one, who owns it all? Who owns it all? And the second question is this, how can I participate in biblical stewardship and generosity? Now I'm nervous this morning because I'm not just preaching this morning about generosity, about giving, about money. I'm doing a four-week series on it. So if you're upset, please walk out the doors, do, turn around and then come back in and try again. Okay, would you do that? Because we're we're gonna be in this. I have such a conviction that part of shepherding, that part of teaching is the whole counsel of God, and there's a lot of stuff in scripture about stewardship. And so every year I feel convicted to preach on this subject. Maybe the honeymoon is getting ready to be over. I've sure enjoyed the honeymoon. Um, I find it interesting, though, in in decades and decades of ministry, that those who would try to refute what I think the Bible says, what my convictions are, usually have issues with stewardship. Those that don't, those that have appropriated the fact that God owns everything and I own nothing and I am giving back to God, those people usually track really well with a sermon like this. So if I see you smiling, maybe you are doing well in generosity. If I see you sitting like this, going like this, maybe I need to pray for you. I I, I don't say that flippantly. What I just say is that it's a big part of our life. And I think it's time to study generosity and the biblical pathway to it. You see, the world tells us certain things. And I believe in retirement. I'm involved in a retirement plan. However, we can't let what the world tells us supersede what God tells us and what God has designed. Remember this if you remember anything this morning. God is the owner of everything. I had a guy one time come to me and say, you know what, Pastor, I own my house. I said, you do. Okay, don't pay taxes on it for about five years. And I gave him a few other ideas, and let's see how much of it you really own. See, uh, The idea that we possess stuff is incorrect. It doesn't have anything to do with stewardship. And we're using an interesting biblical text this morning, maybe you haven't read in a while, that helps us to see that God is the owner of everything. And we're in 1 Chronicles, that's in the Old Testament. 1 Chronicles 29, if you know anything about 1 Chronicles, we're winding down with David's reign and he's getting ready to hand over uh, being king to Solomon. And I want to pick up and start with verses 10 through 20 of 1 Chronicles 29. This is kind of a prayer, a praise, a combination that David is doing here. Let's start in verse 10, 1 Chronicles 29. Then David praised the Lord in the sight of all the assembly. David said, May you be praised, Lord God of our father Israel, from eternity to eternity. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and power and the glory and the splendor and the majesty. Are you getting the idea? For everything in the heavens and on earth belongs to you. I I don't know how else to state that. Everything in the heavens and the earth belong to you. And I lost my place. There it is. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. And you are exalted as head over all. Riches and honor come from you, and you are the ruler of everything. In your hand are power and might, and it is in your hand to make great and to give strength to all. Now, therefore, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. But who am I? And who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? For everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from your own hand. For we are foreigners and and sojourners in your presence, as were all our ancestors. Our days on earth are like a shadow without hope. Lord, our God, all this wealth that we've been provided for building you a house for your holy name comes from your hand. Everything belongs to you. I know, my God, that you test the heart. And that you are pleased with uprightness. I have willingly given all these things with an upright heart. And now I have seen your people who are present here giving joyfully and willingly to you, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. When, when he invokes that, it's like, pay attention, folks. All right? I'm, I'm, I'm dropping it right here, okay? Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our ancestors, keep this desire forever in the thoughts of the hearts of your people and confirm their hearts towards you. Give my son Solomon a whole heart to keep and carry out all your commandments, your decrees, and your statutes, and to build the temple for which I have made, here's the word, provision. Then David said to the whole assembly, Praise the Lord your God. So the whole assembly praised the Lord God of their ancestors. And they bowed down and paid homage to the Lord and the King. God, I pray that you would speak to us in these weeks to come, that you would customize your word into our hearts, that we would have ears to listen. God, I pray that it would not be my words, but your words. I pray that we would examine everything in our life And have we given that over to you. And I thank you so much, God, for the opportunity to be here this morning. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. So let's get a little context. I mentioned a little bit earlier. 1 Chronicles 29, change is happening in the nation of Israel. David is in this advanced stage of life. Solomon has been chosen to be king, to succeed him. And if you know part of the story, we don't have time for it, but this did not come without some difficulty. They just seemed to have difficulty in those days, just like we do. But in this chapter, David brings all of Israel together, and he talks about this desire that he has to build the temple, to build the temple, the temple of God. But God, as we read, would not allow David to build the temple. God wanted Solomon to build it. Kings David, though, his role would be in a very interesting role. His role would be to rally Israel to support the work of building the temple, to support it financially with generosity. And you can read to see how amazing that is. You see, David was not merely interested in a transition of power. He was interested also in a transference of faith that God is faithful, and that he demands faithfulness from us. So we begin with uh, point number one. God is the owner of everything. Have you heard me say that before? Already a few times this morning? God is the owner of everything. And just quickly, a few things right here in this passage that we read. In, In verse 11, we see that God is great. I think that's in your sermon notes. God is great. Why is this so important to understand? We must understand that above all, God is great. In fact, God is so great that he alone created both heaven and earth. Therefore, as owner of everything, God is big enough. Did you know that? God is big enough and powerful enough to provide us anything we need. Anything we need. Well, I work hard. Yes, you work hard. Who gave you your heartbeat? Who gave you the blood that flows through your veins? Who gave you the job? Well, I went to school. Yes, who gave you your brain? Who gave you your stick-to-it-ness to be able to finish that degree? We could go on and on and on. God is big enough and powerful enough to provide us with anything we need. God is great. And let's not forget in Matthew chapter 6, verse 13, as Jesus wraps up that model prayer, the Lord's Prayer, it says, For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. We go to Revelation 5 13, and we see that every, cre- every creature gathers and says this Blessing and honor and glory and dominion to the one seated on the throne, and to the Lamb forever and ever. Amen. We could go on and on and on. God is great. Secondly, in verses 12 and 13, we see that God is owner. God owns even the things we think we own. We are simply managers or stewards of what he has given us. Let us never forget these words. God is the owner of everything. And here's the second truth. We own absolutely nothing. Look at the verses there and you'll you'll see that riches and honor come from you and you are the ruler of everything in your your hand is power and might and it is your hand to make great and to give strength to all now therefore our god we give you thanks and praise your glorious name god is the owner he is the creator and we are the stewards or managers and then in verse 14 and 15 we see what i call the human frailty did you know we're frail we're not perfect we're not God and there's times where we struggle or there's certain limitations that we might have and David acknowledges something here did you catch it when we read it he acknowledges that without God's help none of us could give him anything that is a powerful truth for me that I did not learn for years and years and years that anything I I give God I couldn't do that without his help wow who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this because everything comes from you we have given here it is folks we have given you only what comes from your hands we're foreigners we're sojourners we're passing through we're a shadow so we must remember this that uh, we couldn't give without God helping us to do that I think one of the main reasons Most people believe they cannot honor God and be generous. Are you ready for this? Is because they believe, because they do not believe that they can afford it. Have you ever heard that before? I just don't think I could afford it. This truth blows it out of the water because we give we have nothing to give except what God gives us. And he gives everything to us. If I say I cannot afford it, I'm saying, God, you haven't taken care of me. God, you are negligent. God, you are not worthy. All the power and glory and honor, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, can't go to you because I can't afford it. We need to be careful with that. And not just talking about money. But what about our time? What about our talents? What about our thoughts? What about the desires of our heart? What about our service? All these fit into stewardship as well. And for us to say we can't afford it, I I don't have the time, I don't this, this, and this, we're basically telling God after we look at this truth, God, You're not making it happen for us, so we need to be careful of that. There's human frailty. And then in that, we just read that last part of verse 14, and also in verse 16, we see again, over and over in this passage, that everything belongs to God. David and the people of God could only give because God first gave them everything they had. And David's being specific here, talking about raising the funds and the materials for the temple. Have any of you ever studied Solomon's temple? How ornate, and it, it, some people, and I don't know whether they're accurate or not, but have tried to put a modern-day uh, number financially to that. It's mind-blowing, unbelievable, the generosity that came from the people of God. It is amazing. But they only could give because God first gave them everything. You see, God does not call us to do something that he first does not equip us to do and to practice and this includes generosity. And finally in verses 17 through 20, we begin to read and we see and we get to verse 20 and we see that giving is worship. Can I just share that with you? I miss passing offering plates. Oh well you're a preacher, you get paid. No, that's not why I miss it. Because actually if you study corporate worship and worship, giving is a part of that. I'm not putting down online giving. In fact, those of you today, go ahead right now. No. (laughs) Those of you online, go ahead right now. No, I'm not putting that aside. I realize that's the way some people uh, handle money and accounts and all that. What I'm saying is, however you do it, it's got to be worship. You can't get that cheerful heart, that willing heart, all the things that Scripture talks about, unless it's really an act of worship. We are to do it willingly and joyfully. And I will tell you that uh, uh, when, when I was growing up, I learned how to tithe. I learned how to give to God. It was called the envelope system. We'll talk about that more. But I uh, was in a tradition in time where you did a Sunday school envelope. Anybody remember those? And there were boxes to check. I think there were seven of them. And one of them was giving. So I'd put my $2 or whatever it was in the envelope and give it in Sunday school. I got to seminary, and we're at Wedgwood Baptist Church. That's where we're members. We're going. God was doing amazing work with Pastor Jerry Sutton there, and it was just wonderful. And we were in this big young adult uh, department, and uh, one of my friends who's going to seminary from a different uh, church background challenged me on giving with the Sunday school envelope. He began to tell me and show me that worship, that part of that was giving, and from Uh, That day on, I began to give in the worship service. Not because it was some special formula, but just because it was a reminder to me of uh, worship and giving how they go together. Giving honor and praise to God alone for everything is always in order. Why? Because God is the owner of everything. If you've ever built a house, any of you ever built a house in here? I know some people have built a lot of houses, okay? Uh, You know how important the foundation is, isn't that right? Right? We've been looking at a lot of homes and it's interesting to look at foundations and wondering why that crack is in the wall and why, you know, going on. It's an important thing. And I just would say that simple illustration to remind you that it's important for your life and your family. We, we must build our life on this foundational reality, an undeniable reality that God is the owner of everything. That's a foundation, not just in money, but in time and talents and all those things dealing with generosity. Well, understanding the context is very important. I, I gotta talk fast, because we only have a certain amount of time today. But let's go back at the first few verses and see what had occurred before we arrive at this David's prayer time and and try to understand what had occurred. You see, the context is this. David led the people of God to live out what he himself was already practicing in his life. Now, a lot of leaders might skip over that. I think that's important. I would never ask you to consider doing anything that God has not led me to do. And it's a great illustration David practiced what he preached, so to speak, and his example was so important. And I want to tell you that's true for me and for Lynn as well, whether it's giving to our church budget, whether it's uh, the Lottie Moon season we were just in, giving to that. We must lead by example. And if you're a leader, I would challenge you. I would challenge you with generosity. Tell the people, and then trust that they will do the right thing. So uh, we see in verses uh, 1 through 5, I'll just start there real quick. King David said to the assembly, My son Solomon, God has chosen him alone, is young and inexperienced, and the task is great, for the temple will not be for man but for the Lord God. So to the best of my ability, David's being very personal here, I've made provision for the house of my God, gold for the gold articles, silver for the silver, bronze for the bronze, iron for the iron, wood for the wood, as well as onyx, stones for mounting, antimony, stones for various colors, all kinds of precious stones and a great quantity of marble. Moreover, because of my delight in the house of my God, I now give my personal, see not just king stuff, my personal treasures of gold and silver. For the house of my God, over and above all that, I provided for this holy house. Now, he's brave. He goes ahead and tells them. His giving record is open, isn't it? Wow, look at it. 100 tons of gold, 250 tons of refined silver for overlaying the walls of the buildings, The gold for the gold work and the silver for the silver for all the work to be done by the craftsmen. Now, who will volunteer to consecrate himself to the Lord today? I think it's interesting the example here of King David. And it's to give generously. Now, let me stop for a minute. Do any of you have 100 tons of gold? Anybody here know what gold is an ounce right now? I thought somebody would shout that out. An ounce is a lot of money, isn't it? Let me just say something. Don't let someone tell you that if you have any kind of wealth, you're a sinner or you've done something wrong. No, God owns it all, and if you have wealth, listen to me, church, God has given it to you. And I say let's have more Christians who have wealth. Why? Because then we have more people who can give more to the work of the Lord. Ministry takes money. So I say, the more and more we can do, the more and more God can give us, the more and more we can give back. Isn't that wonderful to think? So don't beat yourself up if you're looking and saying, wow, I've been blessed. (laughs) Start blessing back more and more. Have you ever heard of reverse tithing? There are some people in our world that are trying, they're not thinking about 10%. Reverse tithing means they're trying to get the point in their life where they could give 90% away and only keep 10%. I would love to be able to do that. I'm not there at all, but uh, I'm inching a little bit more towards that. As God gives us wealth, we we give it back. So I just wanted you to see that. Sometimes we read and go, well, he's the king. Well, he had personal wealth, and look what he's giving away. So uh, verses 1 through 5, he says, To the best of my ability, I'm giving provision. Give generously. Also in verse 5, we should challenge and inspire others. The question that he gives, wrapping up verse 5, is, now, who will volunteer to consecrate himself to the Lord today? He's not talking about some ritualistic thing or getting clean before going uh, to church. He's, this is in context with provision, with giving, with generosity. And then, and, and, and he says, who? Who will it be? And then verses 6 through 9, I really don't have time to read that. And then you can read twenty to 25 later on in the chapter what you see is this example of generosity inspired more generosity the scripture tells us that the leaders gave willingly then the scripture tells us that the people rejoiced because the leaders gave willingly and then we get to that verse 9 and 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 we see something interesting then the people rejoiced because of their leaders willingness to give for they had given to the lord With a whole heart. Do you see that? With a whole heart. And King David also rejoiced greatly. What is a whole heart? The whole heart is the measure of unreserved giving. I will hold nothing back from you, Lord. It's yours. Whatever you want me to give, I will give. You see, when you recognize that God owns everything, you will influence others to be as generous as you are. Now, I'm not saying you should be like that Pharisee, that publican, and you should brag about everything that you have done. No, that's not what I'm saying at all. But by our example as leaders, as Christians, as we we give, others can see that. Remember, we influence. Parents influence children. Friends influence friends, pastors influence churches, church leaders influence churches, churches influence the world. We could go on and on and on. In fact, as David did here, we will as well. Whether we know it or not, we will leave a legacy of trusting and honoring God with everything in our lives, everything that He has given you. So let me give you a quick illustration. Uh, I remember we were f- fresh out of seminary, not not very many years at all. Bethel Baptist Church, Roswell, New Mexico. You know, that's before the aliens came. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> it actually was before it got famous. But uh, we got convicted to give to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering for international missions. What we just did this last year. Lord, we're going to give 125 bucks. And you may be saying. <sniffs> Well, that was a, a pretty good amount of money back then. And we had three little boys with the, a fourth one on the way. And I, and I talked to Lynn. And it's like, we've we got to give 125000 over and above everything else, $125. I don't think we can do that. I know. I know. But this is what we've got to do. So I, I just want to tell you that. I was, uh, we had combo positions back then. You ever heard of a minister of music and youth? That meant you were the, the slave slash servant of the church. You did everything. But one of that was choir. And I'll never forget that Christmas. It only happened once ever. The choir decided to give us a Christmas gift. And I did not know it. They took up an offering for us and presented it to us a few Wednesday nights before Christmas. And guess how much the gift was? How much? No, it was not 125 it was $126. <laughs> Praise God. And I learned right then, God, if you tell us to do it, we will do it. We can't afford not to. Now, I'm not saying always that you just get something back dollar for dollar or even a dollar more, but it's just a great example of how faithful God is. You see, we need to influence others by teaching them that God is the owner of everything. Trusting God throughout your life is the key to honoring Him. Trust, trust, trust. This brings joy and it also leads others to join in with you in unity. And I would ask us today, what are we standing on today? Are you standing on your bank account? Are you standing on your talents? Or are you standing on the Word of God? Or are we standing on those fragile philosophies of the world, which I believe a lot of them are false? Do we wake up in the morning and the first thing we do is look at the stock market or Fox Business Channel or whatever it is? Or, you know, we all can do online banking now. We, we flip that up to see if we made 12 cents of interest. You know how that works, right? No. The first thing we do is we spend time with the Lord and His word. God is the owner of everything. It's not what the world says. So quickly, let's move on to the second point. It's very brief, I promise. It's not as long as the first one. God is the owner of everything. We own absolutely nothing. Number two, it's the reality check. And it's logical. If you're logical, you're going to like this. Uh, Since God is the owner of everything, we cannot, even if we wanted to, own everything. Does that make sense to you? We can own absolutely nothing. Quickly, go to Genesis chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 26 through 28. Then God said, let us make man in our own image. Now that's another story right there, folks. You know we're dealing with things in our country, in our world. You might have heard of Equality Act and some things like that. (laughs) Go to Genesis 1 and see what God did. That's another sermon, okay? But God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They will rule. Do you see that? The fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the animals, all the earth, all the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. Underline this one. He created them male and female. That's not the gist of this passage right now that I'm looking at. Look at verse 28. Here it is. God blessed them. You see, it's God. God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. And here's the word. Do you see it? Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. Wow. Wow. When God records here how everything began, we learn what the Bible says about stewardship. We see God declares how he made, uh, created male and female in his own image. We just saw that he blessed them. He told them to multiply, fill the earth. He also told them something else. He said, what was that word I said to "Underline Rule. Rule over it all. The Hebrew word is radah. It means to rule. Duh. It mean, it's stronger though. It means to have dominion over. Okay, so Adam and Eve had a job to do, and it was they were to, and they're a team. Let's not forget that. Okay, they're a team. Were teams from the very beginning. And, and they were to exercise responsibility over this creation that God had made. They were not owners of the garden, were they? No. They were tenants, if you will, or managers or stewards. They were assigned to tend to creation the garden and bring every living thing under submission to the will of its creator and for God's glory. That's what they were supposed to do. Let's look now at 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Let me read it for you. A person should consider us in this way, as servants of Christ and managers of God's mysteries. In this regard, it is expected of managers that each would be found faithful. The word translated servant here is a word that most commonly refers to a military underling. Some of you spent 20 years or more as a military underling, didn't you? All right? Everybody wasn't a general, were they? But if you go back in history, it's very interesting. The compound word means under rower or lower rower. Do you remember those ships where people would be in in the bowels of the ship? Unfortunately, some being whipped or whatever, and they were just rowing. That was their job. That's a lower rower. So this use of this word here, servants, in this particular context, is intentional. The lower rower followed the commands of a superior. He was expected to operate at maximum efficiency or he would face the consequences, right? Despite being situated in the bowels of the ship, and I would say to you today, we should be servants. We should be lower rowers. And our superior is Christ Jesus, God the creator, and we should row and row. There's another word there. Not just consider this as servants of Christ, but also as managers of God's mysteries. The word manager is the word for steward in the New Testament. This word appears 17 times in the New Testament. And here's what's interesting. A third of those times, figure that out, it's not an even number. A third of those times, uh, the occurrences come directly from Jesus. Not from Paul, it's here. And they come from Jesus in parables. And whenever he's using this word, it's the, with the idea of context of stewardship or administration. In addition, this compound word that, that we get here, managers, it comes from two, from house and law. It refers to those who are managing the affairs of a household and estate ownership. of of everything that that he or she is managing. And what's interesting to note, as the steward managed the stuff, the household remained entirely under the master's control. The owner owned it, not the manager. Remember, God is the owner of everything and we own absolutely nothing, including our own lives. Now think about managing for a minute. Before COVID hit, could you tell me what the largest hotel chain in the world was? Anybody? Marriott. Not Marriott. Airbnb. Airbnb. Airbnb did not own those properties, other people did. You see how that works? They managed it. How about another trivia question? Before COVID, uh, what was the number one transportation company in the world? You got it. Uber. The people who started that, do they own those vehicles? No. No. They manage the people who own those vehicles who do the transportation. We, we, We have examples all the time of being a steward, being a manager. And yet sometimes we struggle with managing what God has given us, which is everything. And how do we manage that? Including our own lives. Listen to 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You ready? You are not your own, for you were bought at a price, so glorify God with your body. Again, this is spiritual, this is biblical stewardship. This is what the Bible says about stewardship. So God assigns us with this stewardship. Last quick point is this. God expects faithfulness. Did you catch that in 1 Corinthians 4.2. We're stewards, we're managers, so what does God expect? Faithfulness. God requires us, the Scripture just told us, to be found faithful. We are are to be committed to what God asks us to do. We do not represent ourselves or others, but ultimately we represent God Almighty. God rules, ultimately, not us. We lean on God's wisdom. We lean on God's generosity, and we trust Him to help us be faithful stewards. Now, what does faithful mean? Faithful means dependable. And it's this idea that I have to get through my thick little skull, and maybe you do as well. God can depend on us in the way we handle the little things as well as the way we handle the big things. Well, he demands our faithfulness. Let me apply it in this way. Jesus acknowledges this. Jesus recognized the importance of faithfulness. Do you remember the parable of the talents, Matthew 25, 14 through 30? And I would just ask you this question. Are you faithful? The owner gave five here and two here and one there, right? He went off, came back, and the the five became what? Ten. The two became what? Four. And what happened with the one? It didn't even go into the bank. It got buried. And it became what? Actually, not one. It became zero because the one was given to the one who had the ten. What a great picture of the fact that stewardship is the practice of managing properly all that God had entrusted to us. Whether it's time or talents or influence or resources or money, our total lives. And and, and I'll get it, in fact, don't send me an email, okay? Wait, let me re-say that. In all Christian love, don't send me an email that all you want is my money. Don't do it. What I have discovered in years of ministry is this. Often money is the last thing, is the very last thing to come under stewardship in a person's life. They can give time. They can give of their talents. They can give this, this, and this, but not money. I'll never forget the day that happened many decades ago when we were getting ready to enter into a capital campaign. And I, and I had the guy picked. I had the guy picked to lead. And of course, we had a group leading. It made sense to me. And, and we were advised, you know, make sure your team are people that are regular, consistent givers, that are genera- generous. That makes sense, right? It fits with First Chronicles 29. And, and the person who handled finance had to come back and tell me, I won't say his name, but he was disqualified to lead. I, he, he was going to be the leader of it all because he didn't give. Wow. It reminded me, talents, times, sometimes it's the treasure that's hard to give back. And I would ask you today, are you being faithful? Are you dependable to honor God with all the resources he has given you in your life? You may say today, Pastor, I cannot afford it. And I would say to you, you cannot afford not to. And not talking about health and wealth, not talking about prosperity gospel, you will never hear me say, if you give this, you will get all this back in multiple forms. I'm not saying that at all. What I am saying is it's God's design And he wants all of us, not just part of us. I would say to you today, we need biblical stewardship like never before in 2021. Would you agree with that? Would you agree with that? So the people saying yes are the ones who are giving and they're all right with that. Let me just share you something. We need it and we need to teach it because let me tell you something about our nation, folks. We are making more money than ever before. Did you know that? Before my dad died, he, he, it blew his mind what some salaries were. He, he used to think, I think through all of his life, all of his life, if I could ever make 50 grand in a year, and he would work uh, sometimes three jobs, if I, he thought if ever I could make 50 grand a year, you realize that's entry sal- salary for a lot of jobs now. We're making more than ever before, but guess what in our nation? We're being worse stewards of money each year. Let me just give you a picture uh, of the average American. It may be worse now, but this is pre-COVID. Are you ready? 41% of Americans carry some sort of credit card debt. And the place became silent. Right? I'll give you a quick testimony. Sorry, Sunday school teachers. We're going a little long today. Uh, we moved in. We had a little boy. We moved to Roswell, and we got a house. Right? We, we, God provided it. We worked it out. But here was the problem. We needed a new fridge, actually thought it'd be a good idea to have some furniture in a house that you own, right? All those things. And I used a credit card. So the bank loved us so much since we had a house that we got a credit card. Anybody, anybody remember those days? And a bill came in, it, wasn't, it, was, it was $200 and guess what happened? I could not pay that bill. So guess what that, you know that bank that loved us so much? Guess what they did? yeah no another credit card. Yeah, no, well, that could be good. Yeah, more credit cards, right? No, they charged us extra. And so we determined it took us two or three months. The first thing I did is got out the kitchen scissors. And I, tears in my eyes. I, you know, because there's power in that credit card. Cut it up and threw it away until... We could pay that off, and I give glory to God that from that day forward we've not had a credit card that we could not pay off. 41% of Americans carry some sort of credit card debt. Now do I use them? You bet. I have a Southwest card I use the fire out of. Why? Don't Someone work for Southwest? Why? Because we like to fly, and I like to send Lynn a lot to go see the grandbabies, and so it's nice having those miles, okay? Here's the average American. Let me finish with this. $5,700 is the average American credit card debt. More than one in four workers do not save anything monthly. How are they going to be generous? Nearly three in four workers say they are in debt, and more than half think they will always be in debt. 70, this one, 78% of workers live paycheck to paycheck. I say all that to illustrate and say this. Remember these two things. God is the owner of everything. We own absolutely nothing. You see, church, God has not called and gifted us to be average and I want to say I thank the Lord so many of you are awesome in your generosity and I am so thankful for that we can do so much more together than we could just do by ourselves and I'm so grateful for that because we're not called to be average and I would ask you today what kind of stewardship is demonstrated by your life I believe with all my heart that God is calling all of us to renew our faithfulness to our master and I would say wherever you are today I don't know where you are start somewhere. Do something and see what God does in your life. Let me conclude with this verse. I would ask that you would just bow your heads right now. Just focus on the Lord for a minute. Uh, Bow your heads. That just means get quiet and don't be distracted by anything. And let me read this scripture to you as you're focusing on the Lord. Psalm 24, 1. The earth is the Lord's, and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. I would be remiss today without asking you, as your heads are bowed, while you're focusing on the Lord, what about your life with Christ? The Scripture says, all who live in it are the Lord's. The Lord has a desire to claim you as His child. Do you know Jesus? Not know about Jesus. But do you know, have you repented, have you turned and confessed your sin to the Lord and ran to Him and asked the Creator of the universe to save you, to bring you into right relationship with Him, to make you a follower of Him? And see, it's not what we do, it's what God does. And the Scripture says, whoever will call upon the Lord shall be saved. Have you done that? If not, why not? Before you can ever get to generosity, you, you must be the Lord's. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. God, today we acknowledge that you are the owner of everything. We own absolutely nothing. And we would say today, Lord, would you please empower us by your Spirit as you work through us that we would be faithful, that we would be dependable that we would choose to follow you. God, I know these are difficult words for some folks and I just pray that you would comfort, that you would remind us that that your burden, your yoke, it's not heavy, it's light, it's easy. But As we follow you, God, you take care of us. So we just ask for that. I thank you, God, for so many folks who are faithful and will be found faithful, that are generous, that realize the work, your work around even the world is so much bigger than just us, and that we can join together. So God, we pray that you would just speak to us today, and we pray all this in the name of Jesus, amen.